emerging from the Neckard Expanse that is the weight of our couriers, it is Major Please, the hateful voyage of the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. We appreciate the patience that everyone has shown over the last couple months. This is mostly on me. Uh, spring is my busiest time of the year for what I do for a living. Uh, but I'm happy to say that as of today, specifically, uh, it's mostly my rearview mirrors. So absence, you know, exigent circumstances, uh, we look forward to bringing you weekly V'ger please uh, through, you know, at least the summer. And uh, I imagine you wouldn't have it any other way. They say that absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? And if that's the case, our audience should be missing the fuck out of us. I, I've been missing the fuck out of Voyager. It's weird when you, I mean, we've been in a rhythm for so long and past uh, month or so has been kind of rocky for us. It feels good to be back in the saddle again, again, and now back behind the mic. It was missed in this household of the weekly ritual of sitting down and watching Voyager and, and especially in contrast to some of the really high quality event television that everyone is enjoying right near right now, i.e. Game of Thrones, mm. and then sitting and watching an episode of Voyager instead. It really makes you appreciate things a little bit more. I'll say that. I, I a, a brief side journey, because it is the pop culture moment that it is. And, and that is, I've been a good, big fan of Game of Thrones since it's been out, and I think that the general consensus on season eight is that, like it or dislike it, it is probably weaker than most other seasons of the show. And uh, I share that opinion overall. And then I watched like an episode of Voyager, a decent one, spoiler alert. And I'm like, wow, I should stop complaining about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm I, fucking spoiled. <laughs> I've hit my limit of Game of Thrones, man. And I've been there since the beginning, but I just I'm so checked out. I do not care anymore. There was a little argument in my house about something. And I was like, fuck it. I'm done. I'm not even watching this shit anymore. I'm just going to read the spoilers online. I don't care. Anything past Jamie Lannister, I don't give a shit. I'm done. These hour-long blocks. and Maybe this is something we should have talked about during the mess hall we just did. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah, fucking, we're starting off strong. I'm over TV that I have a gun to my head to watch. Game of Thrones, um, Westworld, the Marvel Cinematic Movies. It's like this, you know, when we kind of went into this with a spoiler culture, man, it's like if you are not there watching this shit within the first 24 hours, you need to exile yourself from all social media. I start going through the shakes. I can't give up, you know, <laughs> Facebook and my other vile little corners of the Internet. And it, it stinks. And it's cool that we can go to a TV show that's 20 some years old and everybody's seen it. But I don't really worry about anybody spoiling it for me and just watch at our leisure and have fun with it. It's not a chore and an hour long chore at that. You know, these hour long episodes really distill down to like 45 ish minutes because all the commercial breaks They're yep. quick watches. I like it. Well, speaking of things we liked, what did we watch this week, Peter? Season three, episode 18, Darkling. Stupid name. Very stupid name. And I think my overall uh, impression of this was a weak start, strong finish. Uh, about halfway through this episode, I was really starting to check my watch. Like, when is this over? 
you know, when when can I conclude? Uh, the, it felt like a chore, just to harken back to what you said before. And then all of a sudden, it just goes from zero to 800 in a hurry. All thanks to one Bobby Picardo. You said last time we recorded that you thought that the doc was going to let you down. I don't think he did, man. What would you think? This was a very interesting episode. The Memory Alpha notes really shed a lot of strange light in strange places. But overall, I liked the episode despite the script. I think that this was really good acting and some cool character stuff. It's like all the 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 parts of the soup were good and chewy, but the broth was just like gross, greasy butter water. If, I, if that makes I, sense. It does. And I understand what you're saying with that. The the parts of it that were meaty, if I could for a second maybe make some assumptions on what you might have liked based on what I understand about your taste is that you like the AI uh, madness. Uh, you like the uh, you like space madness in particular, but you've always been a fan of looking at angles when it comes to AI and its its potential malevolence and unintended consequences of its technology and seeing a taste of that in this episode, uh, particularly uh, so heartily embraced on the part of of Robert Picardo acting that out. Mm. I imagine tickled tickled your balls a little bit. It wasn't even the AI angle. It's just Robert Picardo is a great actor and much the same way, you know, with like uh, Tim Russ and Tuvik. <laughs> Tuvik. Tuvik. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Tuvix. Uh It's cool to see them act outside of what is normally a very rigid constraint framework that they have to operate in. Um, I... It, I liked the performance and I liked what I was seeing on screen, despite the stupid things that had to come out of these characters mouths, courtesy of the script. I see. I see. I I just did not care for a, the amount of time they spent doing the frame story and then b kind of how, I don't know. I don't even call it. I think calling it rushed is a disservice to things that are rushed way. They, they set up the whole cast angle, but you know what? Let's actually get into the details. And the details start with Voyager visiting a planet. And we got a Janeway Captain's Log narration uh, that uh, they have met a yet another Delta Quadrant alien. Uh, this time, I think, is the, the Mikal Tra- or Mikal Traveler. Let me go ahead and paint the picture for the Mikal Traveler. We have a budget Bajoran. I would say... Uh, Bajoran with a mullet. But M- M- Muljorans? No, I don't think. Muljoran, yeah. Muljoran, I like it. Mullet Jorans? I, I don't know. They, they've got their shit on their nose. Their hair is fine. Everything is human, except they've got this little opalescent Bajoran ridge and no accompanying earrings or anything. Um, And when we meet these guys and pick up with Janeway, she is what what appears to be a singles bar. (laughs) Yes. It's this, I don't know, franchise singles bar. And she's sitting there being fed a line of 
what is clearly horseshit as this budget Bajoran recounts the asteroid scene from Star Wars A New Hope where Han has landed the Millennium Falcon on a asteroid, what he believed to be an asteroid, but in fact it was a big giant creature and he and his compatriot barely get back into his budget Millennium Falcon and fly off before the creature is able to eat. But Janeway, you know, she's in the Star Trek universe. She doesn't know about Star Wars. She's believing this guy. So as they sit here at Space Applebee's. <laughs> is uh, Applebee's a singles restaurant? I, it is if you're someone who is in Janeway's age bracket. That's what I've heard. That's a scary place, man. Having just turned 37, I don't know if I want to. If that's the dark future that awaits me, uh, maybe I got to go the Logan's Run angle, go to Carousel and get my ass shot up. Did you have a happy birthday? Happy birthday, by the way, Peter. You know, we should acknowledge that you this this time you didn't have to watch a, a shitty episode with Tackleberry. But no, I had a great uh, birthday, as a matter of fact, and I got I got more Star Trek starships. I got I got the Miranda and I got the Excelsior. I'm a happy camper. Absolutely. Your daughter sounds like a happy camper, too. We're all happy over uh, yeah. at Peter's household today. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, the the space Applebee's uh, that Janeway's in, she's just fascinated while she's having her fucking apple teenies or whatever. And Kess comes over with another uh, not Bajoran who immediately gets into a, like a peacock uh, strutting struggle with the guy who owns the bar and... It just dominates him in, in this this very awkward sort of social interaction because uh, this race of not Bajorans, evidently, their, I guess you would call it social prestige, is based on how far you've traveled. Mm-hmm. And this guy that Kess is palling around with is apparently been everywhere in known space to this race. Now, I like the idea of the not Bajorans in the terms that they're like, space explorers by trade and they trade information on everything that's out there for things like that's cool. That's a cool Delta quadrant thing, but they spend not nearly enough time explaining who these guys are. I want to say it was like low effort. Like they had the original idea and they just didn't go anywhere with it. Yeah, it, Seem like something that might have been cool on paper. Yeah, like you wrote it out. I was like, oh, they're all a bunch of space. I want to say gypsies because it's not quite the right term. Just they just love to explore. They're explorers by trade. And instead of like something a little bit more fleshed out so you can kind of understand how it works, they build them up to be these basically these loners who don't like each other, yet they have like cities and stuff. It's it's very awkward. Awkward's a good one for it. And hey, yeah, that's the right word, yeah. The whole power struggle exchange, because, uh, you know, the JV coach, not Joran, rolls up, or, uh, you know, the, the captain, the, the the big shot on campus, he calls a guy out, and he's like, yeah, you're full of shit, none of that happened, and, uh, you know, why don't you tell the truth? And the guy tries to front on him and, like, pulls the gun out, and's like, yeah, why don't you fuck off? And then, like you said, the 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 hero of the race leans in. And he's like, look, man, I've been all over the place. You know, I'm a big deal. Are you daring to challenge my status? And proceeds to basically 
mount this innkeeper and just start <laughs> dry humping him like a gorilla in front of Janeway and Kess until the guy scampers away, um, emasculated at that point, while Kess is standing off to the side, very clearly interested in this guy. Yeah, this is definitely the first time the show has given Kess an alternate uh, romantic partner. Um, they even make direct mention of the fact that Kess is broken up with Neelix. As you have lamented, we didn't actually get to see that on screen, something they probably should have done. But they finally cement on in canon, so to speak, that she is single. And not also a sexy vampire right now. Kess is a big part of this episode, and I want to say this is the first time that I really kind of feel overall let down by what we get out of Kess. And I don't know if it's Jennifer Lean, the way she's portraying it. I don't know if it's just a stupid script, but she is all over the place. For starters, they've got her in these goofy, I don't know, like velvet jumpsuits, and she goes through three or four of them in this they're like proto seven of nine. Yes. Here. And that that's exactly the thought I had. Like they were starting to test the water. We need something sexy. We're going to break up Kess and Neelix. We're going to see how this works out. We're going to start throwing her at things. We're going to start showing off her curves. And I feel like this is going to be the beginning of uh, the end of my romance with Kess. Uh, because this is definitely the weakest Kess episode. By, by far. far. And by I, far. I feel there's a lot of parallels of what we're going to see over the course of this episode with Warlord. And I think it's why I didn't really enjoy this episode maybe as much as I could have, because there's a lot of recycled themes. And while Kess isn't in the same role as she was in Warlord, because she's not the one who's ultimately going to have this split personality going on. Um, she plays some of the same hands that she did in the other one. We'll go on to discuss those, but. Right off the bat, I don't like what I'm seeing out of Kess. She's going through her She's puberty. a plot device. Yeah, like she's a plot device. There's like this puberty vibe, and it seems a little out of place because obviously we've seen Kess in relationships from the beginning. So like having her kind of go through this finding herself stage, but kind of putting in the sense of adolescence rather than like middle age is weird. Um, and uh, she's a plot device. And therefore is very reactive to the plot and she's misused. She's mishandled. Yeah, it, it was. I don't think it's the actress's fault. I don't think this is Jessica Lean's fault. This is this is more bad. She script. was poorly written. Yeah. In this episode. Um, I don't even know what happens in the rest of this bar scene. Honestly, we find out that the one guy is full of shit. The other guy seems to be laying down some truth. Sure, we're going to hang around this planet. We're going to barter with them to get, you know, more information about this uh, area of space. Now that we're past the necrotic rift, there's like no Neelix in this episode. I think he's in it for maybe half a scene, which stinks because I think there would have been a good dynamic to explore there. But we pop back up to the ship and we find out that uh, the doctor has taken it upon himself to start trying to improve his own program and he is going to go about doing it by taking heroic figures of history and incorporating them into his program because he recognizes he has a shitty bedside manner and that he could do better so we we get a what i would call a remix on one of the more famous tng moments so 
forever ingrained in the minds of people our age who are into the nerdy stuff is the scene that opened an episode of TNG where Data is playing poker with Sir Isaac Newton, uh, with uh, Albert Einstein, and the, vet, the then uh, very much alive Stephen Hawking. Yeah. And it was this cool moment where the idea of the holodeck having pre-programmed actual historical figures in it that you can interact with and sort of at, you know bounce your philosophical questions off of was introduced. And it was done in this scene where the, you, literally Data is playing poker with them and trying to get insight into their personalities by doing so. And all three of the characters kind of had a moment to establish a personality and in the case of Stephen Hawking, you know, just his actual personality because you know, he was really playing himself. Uh, and it was really neat. And then they, they try to recreate this in the scene where we see the doctor uh, interacting with historical figures with of all of all the people, Gandhi and Lord Byron. Okay. I wanna I wanna pause you right there. Lord Byron, I don't know what it was about this guy, but I got this like strong Jim Varney vibe off of him. And you might remember Jim Varney from uh Ernest P. Whirl out of Hayvern or Jed oh, Clampett of Beverly Hillbillies. Absolutely. And he's having this little this meet and greet basically where he's bouncing between the characters and getting the philosophy and he's in Neelix's Talaxian Polynesian <laughs> murder resort. So clearly Voyager's over their phobia of going into this place on fear of getting strangled by um, murderous holograms. It's, it's a goofy collection, you know, and they're sure to include a couple other aliens in there. I think Tapal a Vulcan hard-ass judge. She's in there playing some more Vulcan space Jenga, which I don't know if you saw the one scene, someone bumps a table and you see it's all hot glued together. But also in the background scenes on this, and I'll go ahead, anybody who's watching from home that isn't part of the V'ger Please Trauma Support Group where I throw screenshots up randomly, go ahead and bop over to Time Index 41... I'll have to go back and check. But anyways, you see this guy in the background of this little Polynesian resort, and he is wearing what I can only describe as dong straps. This guy <laughs> has a quote unquote swimsuit that is composed of basically a nylon penis sheath, which has been strapped to his thighs on either side. It is the wildest shit I've seen on this show. And we've seen some pretty outrageous like bikinis. Again, Polynesian Talaxian resort is at its core an opportunity for Voyager to shove TNA in front of the camera. And let it not be said that under the helm of Lisa Klink that this door does not swing both ways. And <laughs> I don't know if it's a hologram. I would like to think in the back of my mind, this is another Maquis nut job. You know, the likes of Lon Suter only sort of busting people over heads with hey, a listen. space pipe. This guy's chilling out in the doctor's <laughs> meet and greet Dude. looking to... Dude, you know what? This is the 24th century. If you want to wear a penis hammock and strut down to the turbo lift and make it and have some quality time on Neelix's sex farm, that's what you do. All right. You, know, you live in the live in the 24th century. You gotta expand your horizons. A banana hammock is while well, not in the United States, is you know, in Europe, it's it's a valid thing. Banana hammocks 
they're established. This this dong straps outfit looks like it came out of international mail. And I think even in the the loosey goosey 24th swinger century, despite all the hesitation that Tom Paris showed when it came to trying to save Bellana's life, um, you know, there's certain things that uh, they're still going to shy away from. You think on the holodeck, there's you can set like a, an LFG mode looking for group. Like if you're in there doing sex calisthenics, obviously you don't want to be bothered. But if you're just running basically a public space where you just want to be in the sun and go wakeboarding with weirdo catfish lizard lady, you know, they just say hey, if other people want to come in and have fun, sure, go ahead. I, you know, it'd be interesting to go a little bit more depth and how it is that people uh, sort of jointly use it like if if you can mark it as hey i've got this going but it it can support more people so if you just want to hop in you can we like already got a cleric put- and a paladin but we're still looking for a warrior ranger and a second tank so i think it would be more common when you like open it up to like a social atmosphere like this mm. uh, but if you have like a really like confined like hollow novel you're doing you probably put that shit on private. You probably collect the box, you know, like, mm, no, sorry. I don't need you coming in, you know, all of a sudden being, you know, Johnny, Johnny McHard nuts, my, my co-conspirator. Like, I, I know, I don't, I don't want to deal with those kinds of complications. I used to leave my Beowulf hollow novel on an open LFG setting, but you know what? I found out the hard way that Kim likes to space bar through box text and I'm not having that. So from now on, <laughs> I run everything on private. Uh, speaking of uh, L- weird LFG moments uh, that are Star Trek related, I, for a time, played the Star Trek online uh, MMORPG. Mm-hmm. And the moment I was really like trying to I created a background for my character that was like in the text box for my character's profile and all this. And I like really like seriously tried to approach it. And my immersion was first completely shattered when. To, to do a fleet action, one of my, my group members was uh, was cap was Captain Tom Selleck of the USS Sweet Mustache. I never played the Star Trek MMO, although I did always want to create the USS Knife Fight. I think that would have been a fun <laughs> Excelsior class vessel. Uh, but I do remember playing Star Wars Galaxy, and I remember being at one of the spaceports on Tatooine, and I saw a Wookiee, and he had like c3po protocol droid legs from the knee down and he was wearing a chef hat (laughs) and his name was tupaka shakur (laughs) and i thought that was pretty fucking awesome so i didn't really have an immersion on the table to to risk but uh, i will always remember you tupaka shakur if you're out there nice nice choice on that chef's hat um the doctor folding these characters in and he's not just interacting with them right he has incorporated these characters in with his programming at a, at a core level. And yeah, he's in there interacting with them. And it's kind of just fleshing it out. But, you know, we talked about a little bit on uh, the mess hall, the storage capacity that this portable emitter he has must have, but it's not like his program lives in this piece of hypertech from the, what was it? 29th century. Yeah, it is from the 29th century. It's from uh, from the adventures that they had uh, uh, in 1996 L.A. <laughs> right. But he doesn't live in this thing. He's still constrained to the Voyager 
computer capabilities, which they've already backed up against the wall once. He's had to consume another subroutine to get you know his storage doubled. The idea of taking six or seven other fully realized holographic characters and folding them in seems like a real bad move when you know ultimately you're going to reach the end of your rope again. Why why speed towards that finish line? It the the there's a bit of a disconnect in that the doctor has just recently in this season suffered from a a huge potential program malfunction as a consequence of changing himself too much that he would suddenly think that it's perfectly okay for him to start changing himself again only to have himself it was before the episodes where he got the mobile emitter i want to say the swarm was the one where it happened and they had to take the zimmerman hologram and like kind of like put it onto his program i I thought there was another specific yeah yeah when he had to get his his memory upgrade um and again you know we're not dealing with a show that's that's highly linear in the story it's telling they're all bottle episodes and i wouldn't expect stuff like that to really be a major thing on the radar the writer's radar especially when they're trying to ramrod episodes into creation but this was like you said a major plot point also giving any sort of ai the ability to edit their own program parameters is is a crazy thing and i think that'd be a good mess hall topic for the next time Remember the hesitation that Janeway had in even considering giving the doctor the ability to turn himself off, let alone rewrite his base values. Oh, yeah, I remember it was uh, it was a real like character building moment, potentially that they never really have uh, have paid off well since. I wonder if they'll learn from this point moving forward that giving the doctor the ability to change himself without supervision from anybody is going to end up being a bad thing. Eventually the doctor ends up in uh sick bay and he's got Bellana Torres in there. I forget what she's sick with, but he's treating her and she starts picking up that something's different. The doctor's personal space bubble has reduced considerably. He's getting real touchy feely and soon the tables turn. And instead of, the doctor examining what's wrong with Bellana, she starts troubleshooting him. And it brought to light a pretty cool dynamic that exists between the two characters. We've seen them in close proximity a few times now, but they've got this cool dynamic because he's obviously her doctor, but at the same time, she's his doctor. So whereas a lot of times he has the the clear upper hand in any situation because he's fixing someone else's life-threatening situation, uh, more often than not, she's getting involved with him to do that exact thing herself. That's a really good point. And uh, the they 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 try sometimes to have some interesting interaction between the two of them. Um, this episode clearly takes that to a different level. Uh, I think one of the better scenes where where Ricardo starts to actually get to do fun shit in this episode is when they get to interact later. Um, I will say that. Uh, I think what she was being treated for was that she ate a salad and like yeah. she can't digest the enzymes and the food in this planet or something like that. I loved that being the reason she was there because it led the doctor to say, hey, look, I specifically remember giving a briefing that you are not going to have the enzymes to ha- properly handle this. 
there's so much stuff about how Starfleet operates that we never really get to touch. The idea that when they show up to planet that the sensors are pulling all this data in and that these different department heads are like, okay, here's where we might encounter some problems. And that there's, you know, a briefing to away team members where they're like, Hey, don't drink the water in Mexico. You get sick. It's going to suck. Planet Mexico is a terrible place for you to try and uh, <laughs> drink tap water. Don't do it. Why did you drink the tap water? Lieutenant, this I is uh, thirsty. Yeah. Um, what other fun stuff goes on there? Uh, hey, you know, this planet has uh, no regard for weapons. Feel free to walk into a meeting with the president packing phasers. <laughs> oh, well, they love to do that. They don't mm-hmm. need a briefing to be told to do that. <laughs> but uh, the, the the point being here and kind of to blaze through the fucking boring part of this episode, the two things that are happening are that the doctor is told by Bolana that Hey, yo, you shouldn't be mucking around with your fucking program by adding Lord Byron to it because you, you never know what the unintended consequences would be. And Kess has this whirlwind romance with this random not Bajoran who's this suave space piratey type of guy. I guess he's supposed to be taking her on moonlit walks to glowing space rocks to have makeout sessions. Oh, you think and- it was a makeout session? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they showed the makeout session. She definitely came back up like she was freshly fucked. Yeah, I get I get as my wife called it. (laughs) You think she bothered telling uh, space pirate captain that she's three? Oh, man, bring that is again. We brought it up. There's these weird vibes. She gets this weird vibe from Tuvok and the doctor uh, that like they are her parents and she has to basically assert, well, I'm three years old now. I, I, you know, I, I can make decisions for myself, like this authoritative way, you know, and, and there's one cool moment that she has with Janeway later where she says, I lived a third of my life total on this ship. And I'm starting to wonder if I want to spend the rest of my life here, which is the one, like they, they had that written down on a piece of paper of like, let's build his, her arc around that. And it just didn't fucking do it. Well, bring this uh storyline discussion to a close um she basically gets a boy toy that uh you know disapproving space dads aren't necessarily okay with and and you know he's attempting to woo the space dads into allowing uh Kess to potentially come along with him on space adventure it's very interesting because the way they build him up he's pretty much perfect he's oh, a yeah. gentleman he's suave the guy's handsome. He's great. Blah, 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 blah. You're waiting. And they, for and the... they never like do a face heel turn with him either. No, like, and that's what I was ends expecting. the episode. An awesome dude. <laughs> yeah. And they just kind of, you know, decided not to go with him after all. Um, the cast thing, though. It's it's interesting. Yeah. You are going to live maybe nine years because you chose not to accept, uh, you know, caretaker two as your savior to become a super saiyan and live maybe 20 years like those other guys from cold fire i don't know if voyager is the place i want to be when i've spent you know my first third of my life here everything you have seen about the delta quadrant from your own home world to now is pretty much fucking terrible you know the delta quadrant is a crappy roadhouse bar fight of a quadrant and if you're going through shit that you're not going to understand and you're far from home, I don't think doing it outside the safety, you know, wonderful, caring and understanding confines of the Federation Starship Voyager is really going to be the smart call there. But good on Janeway for not 
blatantly pointing her to it and, and letting her arrive at those own same conclusions on her uh, by herself. The, the ideas on this episode, they had an interesting germination point and the only one that gets paid off well is the doctor. And that's just because they let Picardo go nuts. And as we discovered, as you mentioned with Tuvok, when these guys get let off the chain for a hot second, it's fun. This part is not fun. It's it's kind of paint by numbers. Uh, Kess dates space Chad. He's great. And ultimately, off camera, decide, obviously, we're keeping the main character on the show so she doesn't go with space Chad. The end. The, what I end up calling these uh, not Bajorans in my notes were space truckers. And granted, he's a very charismatic space trucker, but that's, that's basically what they're. They're yeah, space long haul trucker. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, hey, look, I got a sweet sleep around this thing it fits too i got a bed even a little tv in here we're having a great time you're gonna love it and she's like yeah you're nice nah, that's okay i don't need to see truck stops meanwhile systems over that's fine in the interesting part of the episode all is not going well for the doctor who rewrote his own dna no we find out that there's uh some unforeseen consequences uh and that the the bad parts of all of these very popular figures have essentially created a space juggalo inside the dock. <laughs> Are you I'm saying a, that the evil doctor is down with the clown? I am. If we're going to jump back to the thaw, and I think this is another good parallel to draw alongside Warlord. You've got this repository of uh, multiples character shared conscious. And then you have a manifestation of all the scary bad things. And the thought ended up being the clown. Um, in this episode, it's going to become Mr. Hyde for all intents and purposes. This doctor arc is very clearly a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. Yeah. And uh, I think Picardo said, said as much like that was his whole intent. There is some great acting on Picardo's part, as we've talked about, when he manifests this very blatantly evil side of him. In addition to that, there's some cool, subtle stuff that goes on with his costuming. His hair gets like cab driverishly ugly. He gets these little uh, Hellraiser pinhead uh, contact lenses. He does. Not, and they're not like all black. What they do is they. To put like a white ring around his eye and make his eyes look like square beady. I thought it was neat. It, it's very clear. It, 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 it was a very neat little effect. Like you said, like the hair being slightly different, the eyes being slightly different. Although the hatchet mad hat really gave it away. <laughs> and- he gets uh, this underbite and I looked online. I guess he ended up using some prosthetic, uh, some teeth that he had from an old werewolf movie. And it ends up giving him this real, uh, real caveman underbite thing. Um, his whole body language changes. I find he kind of gets real pouty. I thought he had like some Napoleon dynamite, like <laughs> just stop and look into space and reflect on things. But it's a very menacing look. And it's very clearly not the doctor that we've come to enjoy the company of. And this guy is up to no good. I thought it was so interesting that he had the prosthetic teeth that he wore in a, in a, in a werewolf movie. He had been in 12 years prior 12 years ago. and we're like, Oh no, I got the perfect thing for this. And just pop that shit in. Yeah. Like Robert Picardo. He does. He uses all parts of the acting Buffalo. It's God bless like him. uh reservoir dogs. They had such a low budget that they made all the actors bring in their own 
you know, black suit jackets and stuff. And he's like, you know, it'd be really great is if I had some some ugly caveman teeth. Well, you know, we don't have the budget for it. Well, luckily for you, uh, Jerry Taylor, I just so happen to be a hoarder. And I've got some old teeth from 12 years ago. Juggalo Doctor does all kinds of wild shit. Uh, before he gets fully revealed, there's like this cloaked figure that's menacing before commercial breaks. But of course, like with all episodes of Voyager, the fucking the tease that we read kind of spoils the, the plot. And we know it's him. And sure enough, it's him. And he throws a uh, space trucker, Chad, uh, the not Bajoran off a cliff at one point. And it's like this weird slow mo shot because they didn't want to have to do, uh, a, I guess, like a a perspective cg plummeting shot twice in this episode and then forces a guy's hand into fire who has the most non-pulsed like oh ah reaction to having his hand burned i think i've ever seen on screen yeah these space truckers have a real high pain tolerance and he demands like uh, a ship and passage and he's very sinister a little later on uh, Balana figures out all this stuff is going wrong with his program, and that's when when uh, Juggalo Doc uh, asserts himself on camera fully for the first time, and we get an extended scene where he essentially medically tortures Balana, and I loved this not just for their interaction, which was good, but just the uh, the way that medical science in the twenty fourth century is so advanced that a person who is knowledgeable of that science who wants to really torture you effectively can do so instantaneously. <laughs> yeah. The Cardassian, I don't remember his name who interrogates Picard in the four lights scene uh -huh. has not got shit on the EMH. And oh, what he no. does, is he gets blown up on the table. I think he just flat out knocks her out at the start. Oh, he starts by activating the allergic reaction she had to the salad she ate the day before. Yeah, because uh, other people come into the room and he needs to sell it. And he wakes her up, man. He's like using the hypospray like a scalpel to like, I'm going to specifically paralyze everything below your shoulders. And then I'm going to paralyze the left side of your face. And then I'm going to turn off these uh, shock, whatever part of your brain that would make you pass out from pain. So right, you right. can be awake to experience a fate worse than hell. And uh, he's telling her, you're going to tell me how to delete the good doctor so i've got this thing out of myself and it's yeah it's a, it's a fun interrogation scene where balana stick under her guns for the most part in the original right of the script uh it was radically different the the types of stuff that dr hot or mr hyde ends up getting into he was originally written to be a very sexual perverse this is kind of something that seems to keep coming up on the radar is that Picardo's joking about like I want to be in these sexual roles and then he's you know getting the holographic doctors being written into these these sexual roles and he's making out with the Polynesian hologram girls and then he's grabbing on Bolana's thigh and you know I basically there's supposed to be like murder porn parts later on in this and it was significant enough uh, a departure from the the normal doctor that Michael Piller actually wrote a letter to the showrunners and said you need to chill the stuff the fuck out because if you film this thing uh, as you are intending with the doctor having a rape farm holodeck simulation on Kess, 
and whatever was supposed to go on here in this S&M scene, I'm going to take my name off of the show. Yeah, I I think they left in enough kind of bits and pieces of what they intended mm-hmm. that I, I got the feeling that they were going for. It, like you said, he, he kind of has this moment where they pan down and he's 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 suggestively touching Bolana's thigh when he's not quite steady yet on on his uh, personality shift. And there's a sort of sexual overtone to a lot of his interactions with both Kess and Bolana after he goes full juggalo. But uh, I I get why they the having a a murder farm a sexual murder farm on the holodeck might have been too much for Michael Pillar. <laughs> I think that that's probably a little too far for Star Trek. Yeah, uh, I agree. Like I I I think I'm on the side of restraint. There was enough that I got it. You know, Michael Pillar's comment ultimately was that you can only go so far with this guy before you reach a point where you can't walk him back anymore. And especially when you're dealing with Kest's three-year-old, there is this paternal thing. And if you play the creepy old man card too far, the audience is going to remember, which is amazing because, you know, some of the dumb stuff they do in these bottle episodes to never go back to, you're, you're expecting the audience to forget some things and you're saying they're going to remember other whatever. But um. He he's he's not a good guy and he lets you know it real quick. And I especially this Bolana scene I enjoyed. One of the things that's going to happen a few times in this episode that bothered me is he's got this move where as soon as evil doctor goes to play his hand, he lunges forward and will rip the com badge off of his victim. He does it to Kess. He does it to Bolana. Like it's supposed to be somehow effective in cutting them off from the rest of the ship. We've seen a hundred times that all you got to do is just say, hey, uh, you know, Bolana to bridge. The doctor's gone crazy and is trying to torture me. Please help. You don't need the com badge. I do appreciate that they took the time uh, to try and, and explain why they couldn't immediately call for help. But it, I've had these first same immediate thought of there's nothing that. I mean, the computer's voice activated and is coded to respond specifically to the voices of the people who are there. In fact, they don't even necessarily have to have security clearances to to be able to access (laughs) shit. We saw that with Neelix. Like, he just repeated the same security code he heard from someone else earlier. You don't even need the same voice. Forget locked doors. You could just activate the fucking self-destruct with, uh, you know, Janeway's code. You don't even need Chakotay to agree on it. That's that's the crazy. So could just been security alert. Security report to the to the sick bay. The doctor's crazy. And this is how it. this is how native I've gone on this, Joe. This is what I'm going to say about this com badge argument. At least they tried. At least there was some sort of yeah. effort to say that one character has affected a scene in a way that has done something to explain why common sense uh, solution is not going to work. That's the tyranny of low expectations for you. Like. Our expectations of Voyager have been reduced that we are not expecting it to make perfect sense. We are merely expecting some kind of effort. <laughs> and hey, we got effort and therefore pass C plus. You did it of lowered expectation. Lowest denominator, lowest denominator bullshit. Let's talk about that. Detective Tuvok. Oh my god. As if as if the the episode couldn't 
punish us any further. We get a long, boring scene where Tuvok has confronted the innkeeper and said, look, this guy who is not a part of our crew and really we have no jurisdiction over nor over this planet nor over you as a person who owns property on this planet. But we're going to sit here and bust your balls and accuse you of shoving this dude off of a cliff. And, uh, you know, here's all of my logical reasons as to why it was you because you were open an hour late and this silly reason and this silly reason. Oh, yeah. Also, you pulled a gun on the guy. And the dude answered <laughs> everything. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's effective. Yeah. Your friends are a liar. Uh, I didn't do anything. And also, I didn't do it. And Tuvok just leans back and raises an eyebrow like, hmm, touche. I... <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know why. That's this all scene it takes, is. man. All it takes is, but it wasn't me. Yeah. I didn't do it. What did that scene add to this? Why couldn't I have gotten Kess and Neelix having a confrontation? Like, look, why couldn't I have gotten a little bit of Neelix jealousy? Now is the time to bring out old jealous Neelix from his competitions with Tom Paris. Get rid of this Detective Tuvok scene that no one needs and, and let him try and talk her out of this madness of going off to be the, the child hitchhiker with the space trucker. Um, this innkeeper, though. Is it just me or do you feel like this guy got an unnecessarily hard time in this? Like, yeah, he's kind of a liar. Yeah, but you, you, you never get enough of him to understand why it is he had to be the sort of like asshole of the episode not you know? even an asshole i feel it's just like this whipping boy like every single character that comes into contact with this guy takes their turn unzipping their jumpsuit and pooping on him this guy he just gets bullied the whole episode and i start actually feeling bad from between uh getting slapped around his hand put in a fire and being forced to put up with a detective tuvok this guy's got a rough life I don't blame him for making up fantastic stories. He's just trying to escape his miserable resist or, uh, existence. And if that means saying that he's hand solo, you know, it's so dude, you do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. At the end of the Detective Tuvok scene, um, space trucker hero comes in. And here we are, 24th century. We just got finished busting Voyager's balls about making crew members actually climb down caves with ropes instead of their sweet anti-gravity boots all the fantastic technology that voyager has to offer and this guy who just got thrown off a fucking cliff right comes barely hobbling, survived comes hobbling into this uh the innkeepers applebee they can't even give this guy space crutches he is literally hanging off chakotay and this is chakotay's only role in this entire episode is to play this guy's like wheelchair basically yeah, and give some exposition on some tricorder readings at some point, I think, or whatever. Like, it is funny, like, uh, we've mentioned before some episodes where they basically pass the ball around so everyone gets a line. There's a, exactly one scene that Tom Paris is in where he has a couple lines of dialogue. There's exactly one line of dialogue from from Harry Kim. Neelix. There's exactly one di- one moment that Neelix is in the show. I mean, they they really do the minimum for half the cast on this one, and it's it's so obvious. There's and an Chakotay's is is that he is space crushes. Yeah, there, uh, he shows up to say, "Hey, you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this, and you're going to be found out, uh, bullied innkeeper. Just you wait and see what's going to happen to you." Cut back up to the ship, 
speaking of minimal lines, like you said, Tom Paris gets a scene. Uh, the doctor is glitching in and out. Um, Bellana's not giving him a way to stabilize the evil part and get rid of the good doctor. He decides he's going to go in, uh, look at his source material, get down to the holodeck and poke around and see what the people he's drawing his coding from are actually all about. And this is where we get Tom Paris, who joins him on the turbo lift right after evil doctor finishes. I fucking some ensign that we've never seen before who actually gets speaking lines. And I want to say she might end up having more dialogue than Tom Paris does in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, it it is one of those scenes I was talking about where they, they kind of have that pseudo sexual tension in the scene and they left just enough of it in there that, you know, you You know what's going on. You know what the doctor kind of wants to do in this circumstance. You know what he's feeling, you know. And you already know what was supposed to happen in that holodeck. Uh, When he does get on the holodeck, he ends up calling up all the uh, figures that he's composed of at this point. But what it was supposed to be was him just replicating a bunch of Kesses to start like torture porning. Um, Kess goes to sickbay to i don't know what she sees balana knock the fuck out she goes looking for the doctor finds that he's down on the holodeck and she walks in on what should have been a scene of dozens of hers in various state of murdered instead she sees uh gandhi and he's like twitching out of control it's like the nurses from um silent hill silent hill or house on haunted hill they uh yeah not 13 goes those house on haunted hill where they're like twitching supernaturally you see um something weird with the vulcan and then what i think is the coolest scene of the show you see what i believe is aristotle and he has been cut in half while the doctor is hunched over the frame of uh, lord byron torturing him with uh i figured it was gonna be a scalpel but he's in there playing with uh, a tricorder on him but aristotle's cut in half and it it brings up something i've always wondered you know do these holograms have guts and we see that they don't, that the holograms are just shells. They're like a M&M that someone sucked all the chocolate out of. And Aristotle's laying there tortured, cut in half like a magic trick. And he's just hollow inside. And that is kind of horrifying. Uh, it tells you that one first person shooters on the holodeck are probably pretty lame. If you start getting in there with a sword, <laughs> don't expect <laughs> right. any guts. Uh, and also all the people who are having sex with holograms, it's just one big hollow thing inside of there. So if you're doing your business and putting fluids in that and they're rolling around, you don't know what's going to come out of that mouth hole. So you better be careful. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, it, you know, that's it. When I, I was, I had a whole thing I was ready to go into about the horror show scene that this was. And you, I, I can't, I just, you fucking got me with that one, dude. You got when me. they dismiss this Polynesian thing on the holodeck, like catfish, blonde, wind sail instructor, and some of these other more quote unquote popular programs, uh, Harry Kim's volleyball team. When those holograms dissipate, it has to look like someone just popping a balloon full of, you know <laughs> what, just a splattering on the floor. <sighs> All right. Thank well, you, Voyager. Uh, and, but what what we don't see is, as you mentioned, all the Kess dissection. Uh, instead, it's him taking apart these 
these progenitor programs, as he puts it, Kess walks in, and this is when Juggalo Doctor decides to abscond to the surface with her. Uh, he, Picardo really just dives deep on this very sinister, uh, in your personal space, uh, sensual feel to his sinister vibe he's giving. It's so effective. It's more than just his dialogue. It's how he holds himself. There's a shot when he's walking down the hallway and he's very slumped, you know, very undoctor like, like just the little stuff like that helps so much. Um, the episode ultimately concludes well, hold with on before a... you get through all that, because there's there's another very important scene that happens here. Oh, go ahead. So and this is what doesn't work about this entire episode. All the evil doctor stuff is great. And the way he portrays it is great. The motivation's garbage. He's in this scene and he, what he's been doing is he is not impressed with the holograms that he sees. And he goes beyond whatever they're built to interact as. And he starts trying to deconstruct them at a core level and figure out who is he as a person that he has come from these things. They disgust him. And that's why he's resorted to basically butchering them. And he tells Kess as much. Uh, and he basically throws his hands up and says, this is worthless. We just need to get the fuck out of there. He takes her hostage and rolls down to the after, you know, snatching the comm badge off. And now she's helpless. Um, and he rolled down to the transporter room where we get what is, as far as I'm concerned, become uh, yet another time honored Voyager trope. And it is somebody under alien possession walking into the transporter room and just bullseyeing whatever poor slob is behind the console. That is just wastes. Some, <laughs> I mean, she's. I don't know if the phaser was supposed to be on kill then it or wasn't. that he, if he turned it on kill after it wasn't. OK, that was well, a you're still unclear. getting shot. Give these people plexiglass. You got to put these transporter guys in a bulletproof booth, because if Kess walks through the door of that transporter room, there is like a one in five chance that you are getting shot before you can even say hello. This is the new red shirt. Forget Forget the dangers that await you on the away team uh, on the, the planet's surface. It's the real showdown is in that transporter room. And man, woe be whoever gets assigned to that. Like that dude is standing in the exact place where Kess just killed someone a couple episodes ago. Uh, Tuvok, you lazy piece of garbage security officer. Fix this problem. <laughs> well, he, um, he he does not uh, fix the problem because he's too busy using his tricorder on the planet trying to solve a random crime of Chad getting thrown off the cliff, which is just weird anyway. Like, really, who gives a shit? This yeah, guy's a space trucker. Who knows how many enemies he has? All the times that Voyager's thrown their hands up and said, you know, this isn't our place to get involved in this. Hey, blah, blah, hey, blah. listen, this isn't five million people that they can resurrect with the transporter. This is a non-lethal crime. They, they put more effort into finding out who threw space trucker off a bridge than they put into saving an entire planet worth of Talaxians. Weak as shit. 2017. Never forget. I also want to point out this point when he shoots the uh, the transporter guy, I think it's fairly safe to say at this stage in the game that the doctor does not have any sort of Isaac Asimov rule of robotics safeguards in him. You know, and he's flirted around the idea a few times of like 
when Kazon invade the ship, you know, we're going to have to do something and I'm going to have to figure out how to kill a bunch of people. He doesn't really realize it, but I think that if the doctor fundamentally had hard programming that prevent, you know, do no harm, don't kill sentient people, don't do this, don't do that, that that would have still been present on whatever other personality programming he has. And he just drops that guy with zero fucks to give. It's, it's very clear well before this, as you noted, that the doctor has no such pre- prevention mechanisms in him that if he has to do dirt, that he that he can't do it. Um, there is an interesting episode much later in the show that speaks to other programming blocks that he has and what it means to his program when they get violated. Uh, but in this particular case, that's not it. Like this is uh, this is this is clear that whatever has happened here, that if there are any such blocks that would apply, they don't apply when Juggalo Doctor's in charge, and he can molest and shoot and otherwise engage in whatever tomfuckery he can t- torture, putting people's hands in fire. So not they get down hurt to- though from the reaction. <laughs> Space truckers are real badasses. You know, when they've got that arm hanging out the window, it takes a lot of sun, right? So after a couple of years of space trucking, your left arm gets really, really resistant to any sort of radiation, including fire. So that's when, you know, he put it. You know what? I believe it. (laughs) I can buy that. More more effort. Speaking of, you know, backstories are fleshed out better. This is where the episode starts falling apart hard. There is this conflict in the doctor where the good doctor is buried down deep in there. And Kess starts this thing where she's, you know, appealing to the good doctor's sensibility, uh, trying to draw him out. It's the same shit we saw in Warlord, where basically she was fighting the the presence in her own mind. And, and you know, I'm not going to give up on the good, and, and we're going to draw it out and cause misdirection and, and anguish. Um, and we start getting some some monologuing from evil doctor about why he deserves to be the one who lives and the other doctor has to go. And none of it has any traction at all. It's like the weakest argument pity story I think we've seen on the show yet. And this is where the whole thing falls apart for me. It's just you can't there, there's nothing to hang on to. There's no handhold to get your hand into that you can take this great personality shift performance physical acting that picardo is providing us with and and let the script really have any meaningful impact on us as a viewer it's just he's evil for the sake of being evil they make the mistake of making him try to present a pity case and it all just falls flat and stupid while kes is sitting there and trying to you know call out to the good doctor so he can uh, get the they try really hard, though. They try so hard to to set up the sort of like redemption arc at the last second. And uh, I okay. agree. It didn't quite work. They they put the effort in, though. That though, That's basically Kess's role is to try to build that. And it's like they didn't know where to go with it. They 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 started building that in. They have this confrontation at the end. And it's like. Uh, well, we only got two minutes left, so fuck this, I guess. Yeah, so they're in the inn. The Janeway's locked down all the airspace. She's not allowing anybody to leave the planet. Uh, the guy that has been kicked and spit on the entire time, the innkeeper's like, look, dude, you're fucked. Uh, I got that ship for you, but it's under lockdown. Um, sorry. And then he runs off never to be seen from again. 
doctor grabs Kess and drags her off to God knows where, a two-mile hike to out to Starport. Uh, Scooby Squad, Chakotay, functioning as wheelchair, uh, Tuvok and uh, Trucker All-Star start basically playing Ghostbusters, right? They're, <laughs> they're tracking these guys by the doctor's ectoplasmic residue that he's leaving behind as a hologram, which is also fucking ridiculous. And they end up in this scene where um, they're on another rocky overpass with a drastic drop down off a cliff. Chakotay shows us that hand phasers can blow up mountainsides and cause avalanches. They trap them. And then everything just falls apart hard for me. You've got this weird hostage situation. You've got the doctor who can walk through gunfire and lay waste to entire militia compounds as shown in the uh, uh, Future's End Part 2. Tuvok and Chakotay and Kess. And Kess starts laying in this, you know, I know you're a good person, even though you say you're so terrible and evil. The whole time you've really been trying to protect me and care for me. Uh, you know, there's clearly something to you. They start playing the Moriarty angle that like, look, we acknowledge you as a new form of life. We'll give you your own holodeck thing. We'll get you your own matrix. Like you don't have to go down and die this way. Which we can imagine if they had gone with the original idea of this episode and that Kes had walked in on a murder house of herself mm-hmm. and was delivering this dialogue. It would be so much weirder. Very much weirder. But what's even weirder is we've now spent three or four scenes of Kes getting progress and, and talking evil doctor off the ledge and, and getting him to consider her a person and admit that maybe he isn't just this pure thing of malevolence and there's something good about him. And instead he just goes, yeah, you're wrong. Fuck this. And he just jumps off the ledge with her. And it's like, yep. on one hand, it's cool that there's a bad guy who's unredeemable and that, you know, Voyager doesn't have a happy ending where everybody gets to live and, and whatever. On the other hand, it's like, what the fuck was the main thrust of the Kess plot in the story where she's reinforcing that she's got a good relationship with this guy? Like, there's three major points of this episode that fall apart. The entire Kess romance um, thing where she just ends up deciding she doesn't want to be with this guy who's been ultimately perfect up to this point. Uh, the doctor evil portion being redeemable and then yeah this this main guy who seemed like he was being built out to be a scumbag and is really a pretty terrific guy that just uh, you know all, all the the expectation that he's going to have a last minute he'll turn himself none of it materializes it, it it was disappointing that they seem to be doing something building this to have some kind of meaning when it comes to ai and it, you know the what the juggalo doc was and all this and then just at the end he literally jumps off the cliff with her gets beamed up back to the ship and he's normal doctor again there is no explanation for why that is and we just cut to fucking sick bay where balana is like all right well i have deleted all the bad parts from your program time for you to have a few lines where you say you've really learned a lesson from all of this and have a touching moment with Cass, and then we'll have no idea how to end the episodes. So we're going to randomly have you say the Hippocratic Oath. That's what happens. 
Even crazier than that are the security people waiting in the transporter room when Kess and the doctor get beamed back up and the doctor's just like, hey, put those guns away before you hurt somebody. I'm walking away unescorted. Goodbye. And everybody's like, oh, hey, he's back, guys. Hey, the rogue AI that just guns someone down's back. He's going back to work, guys. Everything's fine here. What? Everything's fine. (laughs) What? Uh, Also, (laughs) very noticeably absent from all of this, is not once does the doctor say, hey, I'm sorry I rewrote my own DNA and shot people and tortured you on the fucking table and kidnapped Kess and tried to throw another dude off a bridge and all (laughs) put someone's head. There is no culpability on the doctor. He's just like, yeah, that was a bad idea. I'm not going to do that again. No, I'm sorry. And no expectation that he would say he's sorry. What the fuck? And and if anybody's going to call him out on that, I would have thought it would have been Belana Torres. uh, But she's cool with it. She's like, yeah, next time you want to do something like that, have me double check your work or, you know, just read a book. (laughs) (sighs) They say this is a trilogy of terror, Joe. Are you familiar with this term? No, I'm not. Uh, In the memory alpha, they say that fans refer to this as the beginning of the trilogy of terror. They say that this and then the next two episodes to follow are uh, are show low points and widely regarded as so. Um, I'm going to say that by virtue of Robert Picardo's physical acting in this and the transformation of a good clean cut doctor to a disgruntled cab driver from hell. This is still a very entertaining episode. I certainly wouldn't call it a low point of the episode, but there is some real failed potential. There is failed potential. This episode ultimately was a C plus when it could have been so much more. If this is the quote unquote trilogy of terror, I got news for anybody who's ever named that. They obviously did not watch any of this show prior to this. There are tons of episodes just in in season two that are far worse than this. Uh, Picardo gets like 20 solid minutes to be just the fucking man. He he uh, gets to play out this uh, Mr. Hyde version of the doctor juggalo doc that is very sinister and well played and has a lot of layers to him. And it's all in, in the body language to his voice, to the fact he wore 12 year old werewolf teeth and shit like that. Like he is so good in selling this, that all of the other weaknesses of this episode from the lazy, not Bajorans to the phoned in cast material to the way they didn't know how to end it. It's still, like that's solid that is solid 20 minutes in there it was very entertaining i just so, came to my conclusion that right the trucker boyfriend we should have called him beige or in like b-a-e I, <laughs> lost opportunities my friend what <laughs> what defines this episode is you've got an evil twin episode and picardo was able to do it without being hammy about it the end of the episode is him doing the hippocratic oath where again it ends with you know do no harm Robert Picardo in this one did no ham and that'll be your episode. We did it. Do no ham. I like it. I Uh, like it. It's a story we've seen a lot of times in Star Trek. The evil twin lore, 
the the multiple personalities, the alien invasion, the the body snatcher, whatever. I would say this is probably the weakest entry into some sort of a evil twin scenario, but I'm glad that if it's going to happen, if the worst is going to happen, that it happens to the best and we still have Picardo to drag us through something, you know, I don't feel like I wasted my life watching. That's damned by faint praise. If I've ever heard it did not waste my life watching. Well, this is the trilogy of terror. What are we going to waste part of our life watching next week? Season three, episode 19 rise. We got Tuvok, who looks like he has had enough shit. I assume that he's being forced to deal with Neelix. That's a that's a Tuvok. I'm talking. That's Daddy Tuvok getting ready to strangle baby Neelix. Face it by the thumb. <laughs> we got a you dude can identify in the background. with that feeling a little bit now, can't you? Just a little. Yeah, just a little. There's a dude in the background who looks like like if Balana being the representation of a human and a Klingon hybrid. Like the good end of this guy looks like what happens when it's like the ugly version of that. So there's a super discount Klingon behind him. Rise, Neelix and Tuvok get trapped on the surface of a planet being bombarded by asteroids. Tuvok's negative attitude begins to get on Neelix's nerves. What a shit show of a capsule. (laughs) I can't wait, man. I can't wait. I know the one after this really well. The one after this is a notoriously fucking ridiculous, stupid ass episode, but I know we will enjoy watching it. This one I don't remember, but if it's wacky Tuvok and Neelix adventures in a fucking space prison, it's going to be like the opposite of the shoot where the shoot was really heavy and really taught you something about the characters and was extraordinarily well acted. This is just going to be fucking awful. I have no doubt the shitty roommate episode. And the shame is when I read this thing and again, let's let's go back to Tuvix. This should be a fucking amazing episode. This should be where these two characters are now stuck in a a place under duress and are finally forced to confront the fact that they know each other inside now. And they've went through this completely fucking bonkers situation where they were the same person for three months and murdered and split apart. And I I, I already know they're not going to touch on any of that grade A, you know, fucking prime rib meaty ass plot it's it's gonna be some stupid slapstick shit well until we have to face that stupid slapstick shit this has been feature please a hateful voyage with the delta quadrant gearing up for our second round into the i guess the trilogy of terror i like i didn't know that was a thing until 10 minutes ago but now i love that it's a thing my gift to you if you've enjoyed this we have plenty of other episodes please go ahead and take your pick uh, we can be found on Facebook and Twitter at V'ger Please, also at V'gerplease at gmail.com. Send us an email anytime. If you send us an email, have a question for us, we'll even read it on air and answer it for you. Uh, we put occasionally... a call out there. We're, we're good at nicknaming some of these goofy alien races. If you guys ever have the right name that we somehow missed, send us. Yeah, uh, correct us. Correct send, us. Send, send that submission correct. in. We'll give you a shout out on air. And uh, as always, we thank everybody that's joined us and come around recently. We always uh, enjoy seeing new folks come around. So feel free to share uh, the podcast with others and uh, bring them into the fold. And if for some reason you don't get enough of me talking uh, once a week, you could do so also on Tuesdays on Twitch where I do commentary 
for uh my one of my, lo- my local game store game swap here for tuesday night magic the gathering modern league yes that nerdy feel free to drop in there Jared, look at the stain on my face right now <laughs> what are you doing Whatever. with your life what are you doing with your life man you're already in a what star doing, trek podcast just what i'm doing is i'm talking about a 23 year old te- television show yeah, with you on the internet magic on a thursday gathering. night peter so i wouldn't start throwing any stones in this glass house my friend mm. and until then see ya <laughs> <laughs>